If you're able, would you please remain standing for the reading of God's word today? We'll be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have ushers coming down the aisles who would be happy to hand you one. Just raise your hand. They'll, they'll put it right in, your, right in your hand, and you keep it if you need to. And if you have a friend or a neighbor that doesn't have a Bible and you'd like to take it for them, feel free to do that. And if you're going to use one of our Bibles today, the page will be 896. So this is 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you even when we don't understand it. And we thank you for Pastor Mike, who, through the Holy Spirit, will share exactly what you have for each one of us to hear today. We thank you for him, and we pray that you speak through him now. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Well, good morning. You can have a seat. My name is Mike Lee, and I get to be the pastor here at Mission Valley Church. If today is your first Sunday with us, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, if I've never met you, I'd love to do that. And so there's a couple of ways that we can connect. The first is this. If you want, I'm going to be standing out in the lobby right after service. Love to shake hands, fist bump, whatever you're into. Uh, we can do that out there, exchange phone numbers. Another way that we can meet, if you'll fill out a connect card. Uh, we talked about it at the beginning of service. We'll talk about it again at the end. Fill it out, turn it in our info table, and I'll reach out to you uh, this week that way. And then the third way that we can, we can meet, uh, send me a text, 602-763-3331. If you didn't get it, stop, you know, ask somebody that's around, uh, stop by the info table. I give my phone number out every week because I want you to know that if you need me, if you want to talk to me, if you need somebody to pray with you, uh, do that. Um, I'll typically get back pretty quick. Uh, anyways, just wanted you to know that. So also, if today's your first Sunday here, let me just tell you what's going to happen. Maybe it's your first Sunday. I met somebody that said, this is my first time coming to this church. And you might be sitting here saying, well, is that it? Is that all the singing we're going to do here? And I would tell you, no, that's not all the singing we're going to do. We do the majority of our singing at the end of the service because we think that sometimes we walk into church and we're not quite ready to worship Jesus. Maybe we're not ready to worship Jesus because it was a rough morning and it was rainy and it was cold and you walked in here and you just don't feel like singing yet. Uh, maybe you don't even know who Jesus is and so why would you sing praises to him? And so what I'll do is preach a sermon out of the text that Nona just read to help us get ready to sing. And then at the end of the service, we'll sing. Uh, and so that's what's happening. Also, I would tell you that if today is your first Sunday with us, we're so glad that you're here because we're starting a brand new series that we're calling Corinthians Lead by Example. Uh, now, what we're really doing is just walking through the book of Corinthians, and we've taken this long book uh, with so much rich text in it, and we've broken it up into these subgroups, uh, these subtitles uh, or whatever. And Natalie, who runs our team that, that puts these uh, slides together and, and creates these slides, uh, helped us come up with the idea that this, this section of text sounds a lot like leadership. And so we called it Lead by Example. We're going to be talking a lot over the next several weeks about leadership. 
And I think this is good because over the years, there has been so much written about leadership. Like if you were to go to an actual bookstore, like a brick and mortar bookstore, I know there's a couple left. If you were to go to an actual bookstore and go to the leadership section, you would find volumes of books, like so many books. And if you didn't want to do that, if you wanted to go download the, like your, your Kindle app or, or Audible or whatever and search leadership, you would find just volumes of books, so much has been written about it. And with so much written about leadership, it's not surprising that there are so many thoughts around even what the definition of leadership is. I mean, what is it to lead? Ken Blanchard says that leadership is a process of influence, that you are processing, there's a process you put into place so that you can influence other people or groups of people. The dictionary says leadership is the action of leading a group or organization. And right here at Mission Valley, we define a leader as an adult leading four to six other adults to accomplish a task or objective. And as cool as it is to think about what anybody might say about leadership, I think the most important thing uh, about any topic is what the Bible has to say about it. What, what does the Bible say about leadership? And when we open up God's Word, we see God talk much about leaders. All throughout the, uh, the, the, the story of God's uh, a big story of, of making a, a, a creation and, 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 and then man choosing sin and failing over and over and over again, and God choosing regular, broken, sinful people uh, to lead his people, he has given people leadership roles. Uh, we saw him give Moses leadership roles, uh, Abraham leadership roles, David leadership roles, Paul leadership roles. Uh, it's, it's, it's all throughout the scripture. There's been much written about leadership, and specifically in the New Testament, in the section of the Bible that is the time where Jesus has already come uh, and, and gone back up into heaven, we see that we have ordained specific leadership roles. Right? There's specific leadership roles that have been given to the church to get some stuff done. And one of those roles is the role of elder. So we're going to do like a little bit of teaching today and a little bit of preaching. Right? So there's elders. Uh, and so what is an elder? Well, 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7 says this. This is what an elder is. It says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder, those words used interchangeably, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So there is a role at the church. There is a role that, that God has established, that God has ordained called elder. And those people will do a task where they will serve the church. They will care for the church. Current elders at Mission Valley Church, we, we have elders at Mission Valley Church. We, we have this office. So I am an elder, Eric Cook, Andy Abbott, Scott Van Loan, and Matt Johnson. And then we have two other elders who have been ordained, but are currently just taking a season off. Like they're, like they're, they're elders. They've met all the qualifications of elders. They're just at this point not serving in that role. Qualified for the role, ordained in that role. They're just taking a season off for very good reason. That's Andy Hyatt and Nate Perro, right? Those are the elders of this church. And there's a role for them in things that they're supposed to do. And also, God ordained another office that's called deacon. 
This is what it says about deacons. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacon gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And while we have the office of deacon in our bylaws, you're going to hear at the end of the service today that we're going to have a member meeting next week at this church. Well, we have deacons in the bylaws. We don't currently talk much about deacons at the church because so many people are doing the deaking. Right? If, if, if deacons are like the office, there are so many people deking because to be a deacon is to be a servant. And we have so many people deking that if I said, hey, all the people deking stand up, most of the room would stand up. And if I tried to hold a deacon meeting, it would mostly be like, hey, just get the whole church together because so many people are serving in that role. And so the Bible talks about elders and it talks about deacons. But then in addition to that, we see clearly in Scripture that additional authority as needed by the local church can be established as well. That the elders having their authority from God, the deacons having their authority from that, can say, hey, in our church we actually need some other roles. And so we are going to ordain that as well. We see that in Acts chapter 6, 1 through 11. I'm not going to read that whole text to you. I'm just going to ask you to, to just, you can read it on your own if you don't believe me, but or you can trust me either way. You should always just read it. I just don't have time to read it to you because we got so much to do today. But basically what's happening is that there is a need that has happened in the local church and the elders, the, the apostles, the, the, those guys are saying, hey, we can't take care of those needs, so let's get some guys together. Let's get some people together that will go and take care of those needs. And through that, we see that the local church has the authority to just establish these additional leadership roles as needed. And so if you wonder, like, well, how does that work at Mission Valley? At Mission Valley, we have a lot of these additional leaders, People who've been given authority from the elders to carry out specific leadership responsibility. Like that's how the church is built. That's how it's set up. There's, there's God, there's the elders, and then there's the people that the elders say, hey, we're, we're giving you authority to do some other stuff. And so there's a bunch of different people that do that. First, we have paid staff. There are some people that are at this church that get paid to do a job. Kobe is our worship leader. He gets paid to do that. He leads worship and does other things, and that's part of what his job is. It's part of his responsibility. It's his vocation, right? Jen Nelson is our kids' ministry director. She gets paid to do that, right? She's leading kids. She's partnering with parents to raise kids who love Jesus, and I could go so on and so on with all the different paid staff that does that. In addition to that, we have volunteer staff. We have some people that volunteer at the church, and they are staff roles. They have staff responsibilities, and they do things in that role, but they don't actually get paid. Where's Jerry at? Jerry's standing in the back. Jerry comes to staff meeting every week. She's part of our staff, but we don't pay her anything, right? We don't pay her anything. I also am a volunteer staff role. Like, I don't get paid here. I just, I just do this because I like it. I'm a volunteer here, just like most of you. In addition to that, we have volunteer team leads. We have volunteer sub-team leads. And we have community group leaders. Right here at church, we have 40 different people that lead community groups. We have 19 community groups that meet, and we have 40 leaders that are leading those. So as we think about this, there is so much leadership happening at the church. There's so much leadership happening. 
from God to the elders and then all the people that have been given authority underneath that. But in addition to that, there are other people in this church right now. Maybe you are one of those people that serve in either organizational or relational leadership positions outside of these walls. So maybe when you leave this place, you serve in a leadership role. We, we talk about organizational leadership and relational leadership. Organizational leadership would be like you work somewhere where you're the boss. Like you work somewhere where you have some people that are underneath you. Maybe you own a company. Maybe you're a manager. Uh, maybe you're a director. Maybe you're a captain. Uh, I don't know what it is. Maybe you serve in a volunteer leadership role in your high school or in your college. But you, you are the boss, and people look to you for leadership. That's organizational leadership. And then in addition to that, some of you serve in relational leadership capacities. Relational leadership capacities could look like husbands leading, could like, look like parents leading their kids, could at times look like, as parents start to get older, children leading their parents. Right? Those are relational leadership situations. There's so much leadership going on in here, and so it is fortuitous that the passage of this letter from Paul to the church at Corinth talks about leadership because it's such an important topic. I mean, this is like the coolest thing to me sometimes about God's Word. If you'll just read through God's Word, it just unveils so much. And you'd be like, well, I kind of wonder what Ken Blanchard thinks about leadership. Well, that's fine. I wonder what Stephen Covey Covey thinks about leadership. Yeah, that's fine. I wonder what so-and-so thinks about leadership. Okay, cool. But why don't you check and see what God thinks about leadership? There's much in the Bible about that. As a matter of fact, this is one of my reasons that, that, that it's my favorite thing to do just to preach through books of the Bible. See, like, I didn't, like, wake up this morning or last week and think, ah, you know what I'd like to do is just preach on some leadership. Like, I just I noticed some leadership stuff I'd like to talk about. I didn't do that. Like, we decided months and months and months ago that we were just going to walk through Corinthians. And, like, three months ago when we started laying out this past, this section, we were like, man, that sounds a lot like leadership. And so we're looking at it from that lens. And so what would I want us to know about leadership today out of this particular passage? What would I want us to know about leadership? If you forget most of the things that I say today, what is it that I want you to key in on? And the thing that I want you to key in on is that biblical leadership is a responsibility. To be a biblical leader, either in the church or in the home or in your business or in your school or in your organization, no matter where you're at, if you are a Christian, biblical leadership is a responsibility. I want to double down on this for a second and say this. I want to clearly articulate this by telling you what leadership is not. Leadership is not a right determined by anything you've done. You're not given the right to lead. It's not a license to treat people any type of way or to disrespect people in any type of way. It's not a status symbol. It's not like you've become a leader and now you sit up in some ivory tower and get your minions to do your work. That's not what it is. It's not infallible. We, we recognize that leaders will make mistakes and, and, and will do things wrong. It's not forever. Most people that serve in leadership roles are serving there for a period of time. I think it's really cool that we have elders that are away from their post right now. They're totally qualified. Like Andy Hyatt is still every bit an elder. He's just for a minute, just for a season saying, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang out over here. And if you need something, call me. And I can call him any time and ask him questions and, 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 and bring up concerns and all that kind of stuff. He's just saying, hey, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull away for just a second because it's not forever. Here's the other thing. It doesn't give you carte blanche to do to other people, to order them around or do whatever you would have them do. Again, biblical leadership is a responsibility. Here's what I want us to, to, to feel this morning. If you're sitting in the room and you serve in any kind of leadership role, 
either at this church or outside of this wall, I hope that during this sermon, you feel like the weight of it. Like you feel like the weight of this responsibility. As I was getting ready for this, I was thinking about uh, when, when a young couple will come to, to me and say, we want to get married, I'll say, well, I want to do premarital counseling with you. Like I care a lot more about your marriage than I do about the wedding day, so I want to do premarital counseling with you. And they'll, they'll come in, and when I talk to the, the week that I talk to the husband about what it is to be a husband, what it is to be a biblical husband, you can see the guys, they feel like the weight of it. Just as you're laying it out for them, they, they feel it on their shoulders like, oh, this is, this is a big role. This is a, a big responsibility. The following week when we talk to the wives about what it is to be a wife, about what it is to be a biblical wife and all of that, you can see the, the women, they'll, they'll, they'll feel that like, oh, this is, this is a big deal. This isn't just like we're going to get married and everybody's going to be happy ever after. This is a big deal. And so as you're hearing these things today about the responsibility that comes with biblical leadership, I want you to start to feel the weight of it. And so with all of that as a backdrop, let me get into five key ideas about biblical leadership. The first is this, biblical leadership is ordained by God. I think the first thing that you've got to recognize when you're leading people is that you're working for God, that he has ordained that, that he has his hand on it. It's a responsibility given from God to individuals to exercise leadership over others to help them get things done. This is why the Bible says in Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, and he gave them the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So leaders are given to the church to equip the saints or the body of believers for the work of the ministry. We are, the leaders of this church are here to equip all the people of this church to get the stuff done that God would have us get done. And what are those things that God would have us get done? Well, God would have us go out into the world, tell everybody about Jesus, disciple them, baptize them when they believe, and that's what he would have us do. He would have us love people well. He would have us care for those that need to be cared for. He would have us disciple people to be more and more like Jesus. That is what the leaders of any church are to be doing as they are equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. You see, sometimes people will come to church and think, well, the guy up there on the stage, he's doing the work. No, the guy on stage is equipping everyone, including myself as a member, to do the work. All of us are as responsible to do the work of the ministry as I am. My specific job here, just like Kobe's, one of Kobe's jobs is to lead us to worship well, one of my jobs is to help equip you for the work of the ministry. That's what's happening. And even outside of the church, leaders are established, deriving their authority from God. Romans 13, 1 through 2 tells us this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority. There is no authority except from God. And those that exist, exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Leader, your leadership is in service to God. I want us to recognize that, that we are serving God. And as we are serving God, because we are working for God, we need to make sure that we are leading well, which brings us to our second point, biblical leaders are servants. If you wonder what a biblical leader mostly is, 
A biblical leader is mostly a servant. This is what Paul says in verse 4.1. It says, this is how one should regard us. Speaking of himself. This is how one should regard us. Speaking of himself. Speaking of Barnabas. Speaking of other guys that are doing the stuff that Paul is doing. He says, this is how one should regard us. And the us I'm talking about today is all of us that have some type of leadership role. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Paul regards himself as a servant. Peter regarded himself as a servant. Going back into the Old Testament, Moses regarded himself as a servant, and leaders now are mostly servants. It's what they mostly do. They mostly serve. While I do many things at this church, I mostly serve God by equipping you for the work of the ministry. What I mostly want to do here is not preach so that like you would take what I say and like tweet it out. What I mostly do is preach here to remind you of the stuff that the Bible says so that you will go out and live like that during the week. We're trying to equip here. If you wonder what the elders do as leaders here, they mostly serve God by keeping over the flock assigned to them. You see, every single elder that is here has a, a list of people, a list of members that they're responsible for and accountable for. Like they're, they're to be checking in on them and saying, like, hey, how are you doing? How, how's your marriage? Do you need anything? Is there anything going on in your life that I could be praying for you about? That's what they're doing, and they're doing this in a service to that. In addition, every single elder here serves in other capacities to lead groups, lead people, lead teams, and serve. So if you wonder what does it look like to be an elder at Mission Valley, well, yesterday it looked like Matt Johnson getting to the men's breakfast two hours early to help set it up. Like, well, what, what do the elders do around here? They must, like, sit around in a, is there, like, a cool, comfy room that they sit in? No, no. As a matter of fact, it's funny thing here. What happens with elder meetings is we just get moved wherever there's an empty space. Like, sometimes we meet in my office. Sometimes we meet in the conference room. Sometimes we meet in the chapel. Sometimes we stand out in the lobby. There's, like, wherever there's space. There's no comfy, plush room for us, and that's great. If you wonder what, like, being an elder looks like, yesterday it looked like Scott Van Loan staying late to clean up. Like, that's what he did. Like, oh, you must get a cool jacket when you're an elder. No, you get work gloves. Like, time to go to work. Let's go, right? And that's, that's, that's what happens. If you wonder what it looks like this morning, Andy's in charge of security. Like, Andy's, like, his, like one of his jobs is if somebody comes in here and tries to get after me, Andy's going to protect me. And I'm so thankful because he's, like, he's bigger than me. And he's one of the only guys in here I'm, you know, just, just I'm, you know, I think he could whoop me. I, I appreciate it, Andy. So good. Good. Some of you guys are like, I whip you too. Don't, not, not, I mean, I don't want to get into that. I, mean, I don't want to get into that. I know what you're thinking, Dave. I, I know what you're thinking. Anyways, uh, this morning, that's what it looks like. On, on Thursday, Eric Cook came and he helped with preaching collective. That's what it looks like to be an elder here. And of course, our staff leads and does so as servants. And that's why on Sunday, you'll find Janine in the kitchen doing the work with her team. You'll find her shoulder to shoulder with her team. We should get, it would be cool to get Janine this nice chair that she could sit on and be like, you guys do this stuff, but she would never do it anyway because she's got a servant's heart. You'll find her here first thing on Sunday. She'll be one of the first feet on the ground and she'll be one of the last feet out of here. It's why in kids ministry, you'll mostly find Jen sitting on the floor with kids. That's where you'll mostly find her. Wasn't she the leader of that thing? Yes, yeah, she's the leader of that thing, and she does so by being shoulder to shoulder. It's, it's what happens. It, it happens in community groups. Community group leaders will literally prepare for their groups to either have them at the church or to have them in their house. They'll follow up with them. They'll pray for them. It is service. A Christian outside of the church is a servant too. 
That's what happens. A, a Christian leader outside of the church is a servant too. You serve. As most of you know, I'm, I'm a co-vocational pastor. And in addition to this role here at Mission Valley, I run a construction company. And much of my job revolves around serving my employees. Yeah, I give them direction. I, I give them guidance. But mostly what I do is provide guidance and resources. That's mostly what I do. I'm mostly a servant. And wherever you lead, you mostly serve too. So the first step, and when you've understood that you are a biblical leader and that you've been given that authority by God, the first thing that you need to do is recognize you're mostly a servant. The next thing I want you to do is, leaders is this, biblical leaders must remain faithful. Biblical leaders must remain faithful. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says this, Moreover, it is required of servants that they be found faithful. That they be found faithful. Faithful. Paul is emphasizing that leaders need to remain faithful. And this is so important because if you lead people, if you lead people and they follow you and you don't remain faithful, you'll hurt more people than yourself. If you're leading people and you don't remain faithful, you're going to hurt so many more people than yourselves. The, the big thing that people talk about these days, people will talk about church hurt. There's this, this like umbrella term called church hurt. And I don't love the term overall that says church hurt, but I completely understand the sentiment. The reason I don't, I don't love the term church hurt is because the church is the bride of Christ. And I hate to think of the bride of Christ in any kind of a negative capacity, but what I'm keenly aware of is church leaders that hurt. What I'm keenly aware of is people that don't do a good job of shepherding, don't do a good job. They don't, they, they, they're not careful or they're, or they're malicious. It could happen either way, either through carelessness or malicious, and people get hurt. That's why at Mission Valley, before we put anyone in a leadership role, before we do that, we ask them to think through and pray through that process because we want to, assure that we want to be assured that they're ready to lead. You see, when leaders don't lead well, when they stop leading, when they step down, and certainly when they choose sin and fall to moral failure, people are hurt. Are hurt. People get hurt. Now, the truth is, sometimes as a leader, you need to step down for a really good reason. There's a really good reason. Maybe it's just a season in your life that you've got to step away from something. You've got to step away from a ministry. You've got to step away from a role. And that's why we here, we, we always say that whatever we're doing is for now. I mean, I'm the, I'm the pastor, I'm the lead pastor of this church for now, but I, I probably won't be forever. It turns out I'm getting older. Yesterday, my son told me, he goes, Dad, you look 50 today. And that ain't true, I'm only 44. But I, it was a reminder that I'm, I'm, I'm only 44 for like a whole other week, all right? And, and he's telling me I look 50. And so I was going to have to have Andy talk to him because I know Andy could whip him too. But it, it's, it's immaterial. But, but, I, but it was a re reminder that I'm getting older. I won't be the leader here forever. So there's good reason to step down. But other times leaders have to step down because they've not stayed close to God and they've chosen sin. And when that happens, people get hurt. I remember the first time a man I really respected and followed in a local church was caught in adultery and it hurt a lot of people. Of course, it hurt his wife the most, but it hurt a lot of people because they questioned whether the things they had learned from that man were still true. They questioned whether the things they had uh, observed from that man were, were still legitimate. And so it was important. I remember that it hurt me personally. I'd be, I, I would question like, what I learned under him and to, 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 to wonder if that stuff was accurate. To be clear, we know leaders are not perfect and they'll sin, but leaders do need to recognize that when they fail morally or simply fail to lead, people will be hurt. Parents in the room hear this. If you're not leading your kids well, you're hurting them. If you're not leading them well, you're hurting them. 
If you're not protecting them from things that they should not be seeing, hearing, or around, you're hurting them. If you're not leading them to the Scripture, to the church, to God, you're hurting them. Lead them well. Fathers that don't lead their family wells, families well are hurting them. I've said this many times in Men's Breakfast, and I'll continue to say it. I believe that many, many, many of the problems that exist in the world right now are because men who have been given authority are failing to lead. Fathers failing to father, husbands failing to husband. And it's not good, and it shouldn't be true of a Christian. And so it's pivotal that leaders remain faithful, that we walk close with God, that we stay in his word, that we stay humble in service to him. It's so important that we stay humble, that we're next week, it's just fortuitous that Paul's going to talk an entire sermon next week about humility. And so I want you to be here for it. But until then, leader, recognize that your faithfulness impacts more than just you. Fourth thing I want you to know this morning about biblical leaders is that biblical leaders will be judged by God, not man, so have courage. Biblical leaders, whether in the church or outside of the church, will be judged by God, not man, so have courage. Courage. This is what it says in verse 4-3. Four, four, it says, But with me is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. Now here, let me clarify something real quick. Paul's not saying that he or any other leader won't be judged by people. As a matter of fact, the truth is Paul got judged by people all the time. They said he was crazy. They said he didn't know what he was talking about. They said he wasn't actually an apostle. Some of the Jews said that he wasn't Jewish enough. Some of the Gentiles said he was too Jewish. Paul got judged by man all the time. What Paul is saying is that he didn't care about the judgment of man because that judgment didn't mean anything to him. What he's saying is, hey, they're judging me. I'm just not going to take it on. I'm just going to take that judgment on. And that gave him the freedom to lead the way that Jesus had called them to without caring what anyone else had to say. Leaders, people will judge you. And that's why so many leaders don't want to lead well because they have a fear of man. Here's what will happen when you lead. People will judge you. They'll judge you for all kinds of things. They'll judge you about the way you dress and the way you look and all that stuff. Heck, some people are probably judging me right now. It happens all the time. What Paul is saying is have the freedom not to worry about that. Because when we have this fear of man and we're worried about them, we'll worry about all kinds of things. We'll worry about, well, what will this person say if I try to lead them? What if they don't like what I say? What if I lead them and I make a mistake? And this is why some pastors will be tempted to talk around the hard topics because they will want to be liked. One of the things that's really hard to do as a pastor is just to preach through books of the Bible because there's some stuff in the Bible that is offensive to people. There's some stuff in here that's offensive to people, and it's not easy to preach through all of it. And the tempting thing would be to say, hey, let's just pick out the 52 sermons a year out of here where people are going to like me. I mean, the coolest thing to do in the world would just be to preach Romans 8 every week, over and over and over again. Over and over, just preach Romans 8 every week. It's all good news. It's all fantastic, and everybody loves to hear it. But there's stuff in here that's hard. And if you have a fear of man, you might be tempted not to do that. This is why community group leaders will be tempted not to hold their members accountable for coming to group every week. Community group leaders, you know what happens when those, when those people start to like not show up and you know that there's a problem and you're thinking, I got to reach out and talk to them, but man, I don't, I don't want to make it weird between us. Like We're friends. I don't want to make it weird. I, I, I better just leave it alone. That's a fear of man. You need to let that go because you've been put in a leadership role. 
This is why service team leaders will be tempted not to say something when team members don't do the work and uh, the way that it's supposed to be done, and why service team leaders will be tempted not to ask more people, more, more from their team. They'll be tempted not to do that. So if Janine leads the, the team that, that leads the hospitality team, she's got Janine leads the whole thing and she's got a sub-team leader on it. But if we were to walk in here one morning and there's just no coffee, Janine might be like, oh man, I don't, I don't want to say anything. They're really nice people. But she can't do that because she's in a leadership role. So she would go to the person responsible for it and she would say, hey, you didn't make the coffee today. What's going on? We have coffee here. What's happening? If Jen is leading kids ministry and one of her leaders doesn't show up to take on a classroom, she would need to find out, hey, what's going on? This is unacceptable. And there'd be a temptation if you have a fear of man to say, I don't want to have those hard conversations. Church fear of man is probably one of the biggest fears that anyone has. And Paul is basically saying, you don't have to fear man's judgment. As a matter of fact, you can, like Paul, care very little about it. And this gives you unbelievable freedom to lead in the way that Jesus tells you to lead and live in the way that Jesus tells you to live. Isn't it good news that we have unbelievable freedom just to do the stuff that Jesus tells us and not worry so much about what everybody else thinks of us? Amen. Yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that, Pastor Mike. We're so pumped. I know this is a weighty sermon. Amen. Again, this is not permission to do whatever you want to do, but it is permission to do what Jesus wants you to do. It's permission to have hard conversations. It's permission to disciple people. It's permission to say, hey, we need to talk. I'm concerned about you. Leaders will have to lead. You will have to have these hard conversations. You will have to ask people to do things they don't want to do, and you will probably be judged, but lead anyway. Because Jesus has put you there to lead, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So lead, leader, rid yourself from the fear of man. Rid yourself from the fear of man. But don't you be thinking that you're going to not have to give an account for your leadership. Let me say that again. Don't you be thinking you're getting out of here without giving an account for your leadership. Because you and I and every leader will have to give an account to the only judge that actually matters. The fifth point this morning is simply this. Biblical leaders will be judged by God, so be careful. Biblical leaders will be judged by God, so be careful. This is what Paul says in verse 4 through 5. He says, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. He says, I'm not, I'm not aware that I've done anything wrong, but I'm not acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, he, who will bring to light the things now hidden in the darkness and who will disclose the purpose of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. The, the, the thing that's, that should scare every leader in this or, or should at least put the weight on the shoulders of every leader in here is it says, now, now hidden in the darkness and will disclose the purpose of the heart. Paul is aware that God will judge his leadership. And God won't judge it on superficial things like how Paul dressed or how many people he baptized or how big his church got. Paul knows that he'll be judged on the motives of his heart. Leaders, God's going to judge us by our intentions. Did we use the opportunity to lead for God's glory or for our own? Did we make much of us or much of him? Did we seek to make a name for ourselves or did we seek to make the, the name of Jesus Christ known everywhere? Did we serve those that we lead or did we lord it over them? Did we lead them faithfully or did we quit when it got hard or when we were overcome by a fear of man? Did we treat those we lead with love and compassion or did we use them to get what we wanted done? 
Every one of us, every leader, every one of us that leads inside of the church walls or outside of the church walls will have to give an account to God. We'll have to stand before God, so lead well. Lead like Jesus. Lead like a servant. Lead with humility. Teach, direct, correct, disciple. Do all of those things, but do them in love and in service to those that you are leading. Biblical leaders, be careful. God will just judge your motives. So, Biblical leadership is a responsibility, and I hope you feel the weight of it. It's given by God. It requires a servant heart. It requires faithfulness. It requires us not to fear man, but to fear God. And yet some of you may be sitting here saying, well, that's cool for all the leaders in the room, but I'm not a leader. Maybe some of you are sitting in here saying, well, I don't feel any of the weight of this. I'm, I'm glad this is like, man, that's, that that's, must be hard for those leaders. I, I'm glad that ain't me. I'm not a leader. I, I just come to church here. This is where I hang out. I like it here. I, I, this is where I sit. I like the coffee. I give money. I, I'm happy to be here. I just serve here. I serve. I'm not leading nothing, man. I'm on, I'm on the team, bro. I'm not leading anything. Maybe that's some people in the room. They're like, I don't feel any of the weight. I hate it for y'all. looks unpainful. But for me, I ain't feeling that. Maybe that's you. Well, I would ask you a question. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Because if you're a Christian, you're a leader. Whether you ask to be or not, whether you recognize it or not, if you are a Christian, you're a leader. If you have believed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you're a leader. If God sent his only son down here to, to die for your sins, you are a leader. How do I know this? Because as Christians, we're all called to lead others to Jesus. Whatever else it is that you are doing in your life, whether you are the preacher at Mission Valley Church or the worship leader at Mission Valley Church or whether you're the president of Skyline Builders and Restoration or whether or not you work for Maricopa County or whether or not you work for Huss Brewing or, 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 or whether or not you, you, you own a cabinet company, whatever it is that you do, no, no matter what else you do, you are a Christian and therefore you have been called to go and tell others about Jesus. That's what all of us do. No matter what else your job is, no matter what else your vocation is, you're mostly called to go tell people about Jesus. How do I know that? Because that's what Jesus told us to do. That's what Jesus said. This is what he said. He said, he said this in Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is what you are to be doing if you are a Christian. You're a leader. And if you're going to do that, if you're really going to go out into the world and tell people about Jesus, you're going to have to do so recognizing that the authority of God has been given to you. Because you're going to have to go into situations and have conversations that you're going to be uncomfortable with. And you're going to wonder, am I qualified to do this? And you're needing to recognize God has given me this authority. So I got to go do it. You're going to have to do so with a servant's heart. You're going to have to look at somebody and say, I love this person so much and they don't know Jesus and I want it for him, so i got to tell them about Jesus. I have no choice but to do it. To do it in service to the king who's called me to do it. Not some pastor at my church, not my community group leader, but the king of kings has asked me to go do this thing and i got to do it well as a servant. You'll need to do it with a, a, a desire to stay faithful to this calling. You have to do it with a desire to stay faithful to this calling. You'll have to stay in the word yourself. You'll have to be reminded constantly that Jesus died for me, and that's why I'm going to go do this thing. You'll have to do it without a fear of man. You have to go and tell people about Jesus, knowing that they'll look at you and be like, I don't, I'm not interested in that. And you've got to be like, okay, well, I gotta tell you anyway. 
You got to do it without wondering, like, well, what are they going to think of me? Is this going to change our relationship? I sure would love to tell my good friend about Jesus, but I don't want to lose the friend. That's fear of man, and we don't have to have it. And we need to do it with the fear that God will judge. One day, God is going to look at us, and he's going to judge what we've done. And if Jesus has saved us, we're going to spend eternity with him. But one day, when God's looking at us, he's not going to say, how much money did you make? He's not going to say, how much land did you require? He's not going to say, like, well, what's your 401k look like? How much money did you leave your kids? He's going to say, how did you do? Where did you go? Who did you teach? Who did you baptize? Who did you disciple? That's what we've been called to do. Some of you came in here today and you said, well, I'm not a Christian. This is what should have happened today. This is what should have happened. First, the leaders should have felt some weight. The elders first probably picked on them first. Then all the people deking. Then all the service team leaders and sub-team leaders feeling some weight. Then the Christians felt some weight. And then there's a group of people in here that's like, I don't feel any weight yet because I'm not a Christian. Maybe you walked in here today, you're not a Christian. Well, let me do what God has asked me to do. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you the gospel. The gospel says this, God made the world and it was beautiful and it was perfect and it worked exactly like it was supposed to. But then man sinned and we broke it. We broke the world. We broke it. And you can see evidence of the brokenness of this world all around us. We see it all over the place, sickness and and hurt and, and people just being horrible to each other, homelessness, all kinds of problems. We see the brokenness. And the worst part of the brokenness of this world is that it separates God from his people. God is so beautiful and so perfect that he can't be around sin. And so it separates us. But God loved us so much that he wouldn't leave us in that separated state. And so he sent Jesus down here. Jesus came down here as a servant to live the perfect life that you and I never could, to die the horrific death that you and I deserve, and to defeat that death so that anyone who would believe in him could spend eternity with him. And if you've never believed that, I'm inviting you to believe that today. That's what you'd have to be able to believe to be a Christian. Can you believe? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminder of the responsibility it is to lead, responsibility given by you. Lord, help us to lead well. Help us to lead as servants, God. Help us to stay close to you, God, that we wouldn't fall away and hurt others in the process. God, help us to be a people that are not afraid of man's judgment. but who are well aware of yours. And God, if there's anybody in this room today, anybody listening to this sermon that's not believed in you, I ask you to do what only you can do. I ask you to give them faith to believe. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.